Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Well, lovely to see you all, lovely to be together. Uh, we come this morning to the last in our series called Disciple. We've been looking the last six weeks or so what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And in his own words, it starts his very first command, come, follow me. And Paul brought us the first week. That means he's Lord. We acknowledge him as Lord of our lives. And then these three scriptures follow the next three weeks. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus said, then you're really my disciples. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then Gav Calver told us last week how we can be disciples who make disciples, fulfilling the Great Commission. So we've done all that this morning. I think, you know, this is this morning, I think this is the foundation of all of them. If we get this, that's how we're enabled to do all the rest. So let's go to the text. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, and we're starting at verse 18. Luke 9, 18, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah or the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus asked them at the start, who do you say I am? And he teases it out of Peter. By his question, he crystallizes the revelation the Holy Spirit's already giving him. And suddenly it all comes together for Peter. He says, you're God's Messiah. Or in Matthew's account, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he tells them he's going to suffer and be rejected and be killed and raised to life. And it's in the context of telling them about his own death, not very far away, that he then says to them the words of this verse, Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves, must take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, he's saying, I'm going deliberately to die. If you're my disciples, then you have to follow me down exactly the same path. You have to deliberately choose to die too. John 12, 26 is exactly the same context. He's talking there about going to die and laying down his life. And he says, whoever serves me must follow me down the same path. Now as a marketing campaign, as a recruitment drive, you might say that leaves something to be desired, doesn't it? So let's just break that verse down. See what Jesus is saying. See what he was saying to them now. See what he's saying to us today. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Now your translation might say, whoever wants to come after me 
It's actually what the text says, but it's the same, exactly the same idea. Come after me or follow. Be my disciple. It's the same thing. Whoever wants to be my disciple. So he's saying, if there's a desire within you, if you've seen something, if you've heard something, if I've stirred something within you that's never been stirred before, if you find me compelling because you have a longing for reality and for truth and for life that only I can give you, if you're thinking of following me and being my disciple in first century Judea, or if you're thinking of becoming a Christian in 21st century Buckinghamshire, same thing. Before you do that, I first need to tell you what it means. And he does exactly the same thing in Luke 14, more explicitly. He's talking there not just to his own 12, he's talking to a large crowd who are travelling with him. He tells them two parables about counting the cost before you start. He says, if you've got some building project on, you're not going to start it until you've done all your calculations and your financial assessments. Or you, before you go to war, before you say out on that, you're going to do, assess your military capability. Have I got what it takes? Can I do this? He says, in exactly the same way, any of you who doesn't give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We'll come back to that. So don't start what you can't finish, he said, not so fast. Well, back to our verse, Luke 9.23. He spells out what's involved, and there are three things. Firstly, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself, what does that mean? Does that mean you know, self-denial as in, well, I'd like another chocolate, but I'm trying to be healthy, so I, I, won't, I won't do that. Or does it mean, you know, I'd really like oh, that, that flashy new phone or, or that new car or that expensive branded pair of trains. I'd really like that, but no, no, I'm going to be good. I can't really justify it, even if I can afford it, which I'm not sure if I can or not. Or does it simply mean to go without, you know, self-denial, self-discipline. I'm going to skip that extra coffee or I'm going to go to a monastery and become a monk. Is that what Jesus means? Well, it could involve any or all of those. Most of them sound pretty sensible. But of course, Jesus means much more than that. You remember Jesus said to Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Deny me, it's exactly the same word as we have here. And before the cock crowed, it's exactly what Peter did, didn't he? You're one of his disciples, aren't you? I am not. You knew Jesus. I don't know, I'm nothing to do with him. He denied Jesus, he disowned him. He cold-shouldered him. He turned away from him. He wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus said, that's how you have to be with yourself if you want to be my disciple. So the things I want for myself, my own desires, my own interests, my, my reputation, my security, my, my own time and money, Jesus says, you have to disown all of that. When Julian Dagnall calls out to me, hey, what about me? I don't want to put myself out for that person. I want to spend that on myself. I want to save up for retirement and take it easy. I only want to do the things that will make people like me. When Julian Dagnall calls out, I have to say, sorry, I don't listen to you anymore. What you want isn't important now. I've got different priorities. I'm following Jesus. He's what matters, not you. I'm going to do whatever he says. Sorry. He sets my agenda. He calls the shots. You're not the boss anymore. He is. And secondly, you take up your cross. That might sound a strange thing to say. We know Jesus had to take up his cross and carry it and go and be crucified when they nailed him onto it, but that hasn't happened yet, has it? So what does he mean? Well, I'm, I assume that language made sense to them. This was part of normal life. There were two thieves crucified with Jesus, you remember. He wasn't the only one. 
And there were large crowds following Jesus as he carried his cross to Calvary. Maybe bigger crowds than normal because it was Jesus, but it's an everyday picture. They would have seen it many times. They knew what it meant to take up your cross means you're carrying it to your own death. That's the walk that nobody wants to do. It's like carrying an electric chair on your back or carrying the case that holds the lethal injection. Dead men walking. This only ends one way. Thank goodness it's them and not me. But Jesus says, no, this is you. If you want to be my disciple. That's what it means. You pick up a cross. Make sure you get one that's your size. Pretty heavy. Get your shoulder underneath it. Off we go. Dead man walking. The only difference is this. You don't do it just once. The walk doesn't end on a hill like Calvary. No, Jesus says you take up your cross daily. Every day you die on it afresh. And the direction of travel isn't up a hill to an execution site. No, he is your direction of travel. Where he goes, you go. Where he leads you, you follow. He's your compass. You simply follow him uphill or downhill. Rocky path, smooth tarmac. Tough going, easy stroll. Doesn't matter, you follow him. Steep mountains, biting cold winds. Nice grassy meadows, warm sun, doesn't matter. You follow him, eyes forward, don't get distracted by the scenery. You follow him. So what does it mean that we die daily? That we're on a continual journey of dying in order to follow Christ? Well, it's an intrinsic part of this whole package that we call salvation. That begins when we first come to Christ in repentance, when we receive his forgiveness, when we're saved from the eternal destruction that our sins deserve. So we know we're forgiven, tick. We know we receive the love of God, yes, tick. That's poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside us, tick. We're truly alive for the first time, a new creation, born again, to use Jesus' own phrase, a brand new child of God our Father, tick. These incredibly glorious truths we know. But... For this new life to begin, an old life has to die. The person we were comes to an end. The person who rejected his creator, who ran his own life, or thought he did. The person who lived for himself as a slave to sin and loved and chased after all that was contrary to God's goodness and holiness. That person dies. When you come to Jesus as your saviour, these two other things must also happen. You take Jesus not only as your saviour, but also your Lord, and your old life comes to an end. When you accept new life from Jesus, that old life dies with him on the cross. See, Paul writes in Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or again, Colossians 3.3, Paul says to you and to me, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. See, when you become a Christian, at that moment you become joined to Christ you're included with him your life is wrapped up in his so just as he died on the cross your old self died there with him 
Just as he was raised up from death into new life, so too you receive that new life along with him. When he returns in glory, we will be caught up to meet him, we will be with him, we'll be like him and we will share his glory. That's what it means to be in Christ. I no longer live, I died, that old me, but Christ lives in me, this new me, and I'm alive in him and for him, my saviour and also my Lord. That's the deal. And so the discipleship journey, you see, it's simply living out the truth of what's already happened. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross to die and to follow him. The very first day, we give our life to Christ, whether or not we understand it at that point. And then we live it out and we put it into practice more and more every single day from that moment on. I'm dead. I say goodbye to myself. I die to myself every day so that I might follow him. He is my Lord. I live for him, not me. That's discipleship. As Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And he wrote that in a book that was called The Cost of Discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple, that's how our verse starts. So let me ask you, do you? If that's what it entails, do you want to be his disciple? Because as Bonhoeffer's book says, there is unquestionably a cost. As Jesus himself said, you'd better count the cost first. Because to be his disciple means there is no part of your life that is off limits to him. No part that he promises to leave alone undisturbed. Not your time, not your money, not your family, not your friendships, not your job. Not where you live, not how you live. Not what you do and what you don't do. Not how you speak. Not what people think of you. Not how they treat you. Not how they hurt you. Not how you have to forgive them. None of this does he agree to leave untouched. He cuts no deals. He won't meet you halfway or three quarters of the way or 95% of the way. His claim on you is absolute, unconditional surrender. That's what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross. Goodbye, old self. Goodbye, old life. I'm off to follow Jesus, I won't be coming back. Is that what you want? Are you sure? Because you see, you do have to follow. It's an active process. You can stay still and, mm, well, I don't know, I'll just think, I wait a minute, I'm not sure. But then you've lost him, he's gone on. See, if you're going to follow, you have to keep up. Well, I want to spend the rest of my time this morning telling you why the greatest thing you could ever do is lose your life for Jesus. Let's read from our text further on, this same text. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their life? Yes, to be his disciple means you deny yourself. Yes, there's unquestionably a cost. Yes, you lose your life, but you gain so much more in return. You see, there's a logic here in Jesus' words. You see that little word for, that means because, at the beginning of verse 24, and again 25, take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus says, because if you don't do that, if you try to hang on to your own dead earthly life, what will happen is that you will lose it. Whereas if you lose it for me, if you give it up to follow me, then you will save it. You will have life instead of no life. You will have the eternal life which I will give you. See, that makes sense, doesn't it? 
For, he continues, because even if you could somehow gain the whole world, even if you could have everything that this earthly life offers, fame and money and power, pleasure, reputation, have it all, you're then going to lose your life and everything else with it. So what have you gained? Nothing. And you failed to save your life for eternity. And you see, this is true both on the level of salvation, becoming a Christian or not in the first place, but it's also true on the level of discipleship once you are a Christian. The more you lose the things of this life, not randomly, not as an end to itself, but for Jesus on the discipleship road, for me, that's what he says, the more you do that, the more you have his eternal life in exchange. Because you remember, eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven, does it? Eternal life is the quality of life that comes from God the Father here and now. The very joy of heaven itself that Jesus gives you when you give up your old life to him. So it's a no-brainer. What Jesus is calling you to, what he is offering, is completely logical. As Jim Elliot famously wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And his last diary entry before he was killed by the Alka Indians to whom he was bringing the gospel in the jungle in Ecuador, his last diary entry is full of the joy of his saviour. Oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth, he writes. That's the life that Jesus gives. I wish I could read you more of it. It's wonderful. Now in John 6, 66, Jesus has told them, I'm the bread of life. If anyone feeds on me, they'll live because of me. And he goes on, and this is a hard teaching, his disciples said. From this time, it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave as well? Who else would we go to? Peter replied, you have the words of eternal life. See, that's it, isn't it? Yes, some things are truly costly on the discipleship road. Yes, some things are hard. But once you've tasted the life that only Jesus gives, life in all its fullness, as Jesus called it, then there really is nowhere else to go because nothing compares to this and nothing compares to him. There's a famous quotation you may know, a man called C.T. Studd. He wrote, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now, Studd wrote that. He was 53. This was in... In uh, 1913, he left his six, six wife. He left his sick wife and four daughters behind. He answered the call of God to go to Africa as a missionary. Now she recovered. Together they set up the organisation that became WEC, World Evangelization Crusade, which used to be just down the road in Bulstrode. And I read up about him. I was looking for the source of that quotation. I didn't know this. He was a Test match cricketer. That's him there. That picture. He's in there in his whites. He's holding a bat. He played in the test match against Australia in the Oval in 1882 when the Ashes were born. I didn't know that. Anyway, he wrote this two years later after that test match. He says, formally, I had as much love for cricket as any man could have. But when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found that I had something infinitely better than cricket. My heart was no longer in the game. I wanted to win souls for the Lord. I knew that cricket would not last and honour would not last and nothing in this world would last but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. And he inherited an absolute fortune from his father at the age of 25. 
he gave it all away to the Lord's work. He felt that was what he should do. And the little bit he kept, he presented it to his, his bride, his wife, just before their wedding. And she said to him, Charlie, what did the Lord tell that rich young man to do in the Bible? Sell all, he replied. Well then, she answered, we will start with a clean slate before the Lord at our wedding. And he gave the rest away too. He never wanted. He spent most of his life as a missionary in India, China, Africa. Despite his own ill health, the Lord always provided. He died aged 71 in the Congo. 2,000 Africans attended his funeral. That is nothing compared to the reception he will get in glory. You see, although we do have to count the cost, that's only part of the story. The bigger part of the story is that Jesus is worth everything. So it doesn't really matter what the cost is. As Stud wrote, when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found that I had something infinitely better than, well, cricket, he said. wonder what it would be for you. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. What are the vain things? What might it be for you? I don't know. But you could complete that sentence because yes, there is always going to be a cost, lesser or greater, today or tomorrow, but the result will always be the same. If you want to do a cost-benefit analysis and you could imagine you could feed the figures, put them into a computer, it will always come out with the same answer. Best outcome, follow Jesus with all your heart. See, it's not that we don't count the cost. It's not that the cost isn't genuinely costly. It's just that no matter how great it is, it will never change the calculation. Jesus is worth it all. Paul writes in Philippians 3, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now that's his conclusion as a man who knew plenty about hardship and suffering. Nothing else matters, he says. The rest is rubbish compared to this. Just give me Jesus. Carl Beach, who's been here once before, he'll be with us on 3rd of March. He met with a staff team this week. We had a retreat. He shared with us just something of his recent discipleship journey. He said this, is it costly? Yes, certainly. Is there joy in it? Most definitely. Any regrets? None whatsoever. Now that's true discipleship. It's not that there isn't pain, it's just that it's worth it. Now I could stop there. I could sell you, if you like, discipleship on that basis, that the life, the joy of knowing Jesus is all that you need to say, yes, I want to follow him, that it's worth it. I could stop there, that would all be true. But there's one more thing. There's one more step in Jesus' logic. There's one more for or because in our text. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, that's why it's so utterly futile to gain the whole world and then lose your life. Because it doesn't just stop there. There are eternal consequences. And here in Luke, he stresses the negative consequences. There's nothing you might gain on earth, nothing that you have prized ahead of claiming Christ as your Lord that will be remotely worth the fearful cost of having the Son of Man turn away from you in shame when he comes in his glory at that last day. 
And in the exactly parallel passage in Matthew, he stresses instead the positive consequences. Again, with that little word, for. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And there is nothing you could lose on earth. There is no cost you could pay on the road of discipleship that will not be swallowed up a thousand times over by the repayment you'll receive on that day. Yes, you may have to give up everything to follow Jesus. But on that day, your only regret will be that you hadn't given up more. The first words Jesus spoke to Peter in Matthew's gospel were, come, follow me. The last words he spoke to him in John's gospel were the same. John 21, 18, Jesus says to Peter, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you were wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death, crucifixion, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And Peter sees John coming on behind and he says, Lord, what about him? Jesus says, never mind about him. What's that got to do with you? You must follow me. Now, Peter died for his saviour. John lived till a ripe old age, encouraging and strengthening the church. One died, one lived. Both were faithful disciples to the life's end. It's a similar thing with money. For C.T. Studd, like the rich young man who met Jesus, the call was to sell everything and give it to the poor. That may or may not be his call to you. But make no mistake, everything has to be on the table if you want to be his disciple. I want to finish with these verses from 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, Paul doesn't tell Timothy that these rich people should sell all they had, just that they should put it all at the Lord's disposal, use their wealth to bless others and to please him. Now, see, you and I don't know, do we? We don't know what the Lord will ask of us today or tomorrow if we want to be his disciple. See, there's no formula. You just have to choose today to follow him one day at a time, one step at a time, and to wave goodbye to your old dead self as you take up your cross daily, to die daily as you follow wherever he leads. You can put a reminder on your phone, if you like, every morning. Take up your cross today. You could put something on your door so you'll see it every time you go out. Today I take up my cross, follow the master. And that way you see whether you live or whether you die on this earth, whether you are rich or whether you're poor on this earth, as Paul writes, you will lay up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age and you will lay hold of the life, the only life that is truly life, the eternal life that comes from Christ alone, the one who is the life. So my urgent encouragement to you this morning, don't waste this short life that you have on earth living for yourself. But use it wisely. Lose it extravagantly for Jesus. Live wholeheartedly for the life that is to come. And in that way, lay up treasure for yourself there.
Because it is possible, you see, to have a saved soul, but a wasted life. No treasure to show for it. Now you may ask, what is this treasure? Why do I want it? What's it for? Well, I think it's a bit like feeding the ducks. It's a lot more fun if you have some bread to throw at them. Not nearly so much fun if you just stand and watch the others throwing the bread. And you see, the only thing I can think of to do with treasure in heaven is to throw it gladly at the feet of this wonderful saviour who loved me. As I bow before him, lost in wonder, love and praise, as the old hymn says. That's what treasure's for, isn't it? Give it all to Jesus. I hope I'll have plenty to throw. I hope you will too. Because he's worth everything. So this is your chance, this short life. Don't waste it. C.T. Studd wrote a poem. Uh, It's got this refrain that comes. I'll just read you a few verses. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy all sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervour burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray, shall we? Says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days rightly so that we may gain a heart of wisdom Father I pray for myself and for all of us that we won't waste this short life but that we will use it for you and for eternity you can't do it all today but you can make a choice today you can set your direction discipleship after that is always one step at a time one step at a time You do the little things in obedience. Deny yourself, take up your cross in little things each day. He'll have no trouble showing you when the time comes for the big thing, if it does. So I just invite you just to take a moment to consider afresh this uncompromising call of the loving Saviour. Come, follow me. Just want to invite you to choose today for the first